0: aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford, Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and did it my
1: way. I am Don Crawford, Jr., the co-host and the very grateful owner of KWAM Radio, welcome you to another estate planning essentials program, immensely efforting to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I'm sitting with my co-host, my attorney, my very good friend, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Happy New Year. I hope all is well. Everything is peachy. Great, peachy, okay. Um, Not everything is peachy when it comes to people's estate plans, and you want to address a particular topic that, again, uh, challenges the assumptions that people make regarding estates when their loved one dies and certain accounts to which they think they have access and are entitled to that money for whatever purposes plus, and you're saying not so fast, my friend.
2: Yeah, there's lots of different ways to have accounts established, and whatever you set up, let's say, at a bank is what, how things, uh, how dictates basically sometimes how things go, and a lot of times it's not the way you think. So it's, so really, a lot of times you need to ask the bank, not necessarily even the attorney, to see what was signed when somebody opened up an account. So I guess I should go over lots of different types of accounts and what the ramifications are, uh, because we've had... People who are concerned about, uh, let's say, an account getting frozen or how it passes. Is it passed by the account? Is there any responsibility as a joint account owner, et cetera? And so I thought I should go over things. So first, there's, of course, what a lot of people have is an individual account. So if you have an individual account uh, and there's no beneficiary designation, then you, what would happen after you pass? Well, Then it goes by your will, if you have a will. If you don't have a will, then you have to go by the laws of intestacy, that is, without a will, through the courts, through the probate courts, at least if you're in in an urban area, it's a county court, and if you're in a rural area. Um, So uh, an individual account equals probate. individual account equals probate, and so then it just goes by the terms of your will, if you should have a will, and if you don't have a will, then the state
1: makes a will for you. Can I ask you a question before you go any further when it comes to probate? Just so I'm clear, once again, I know you've explained this a million times, but maybe for new listeners and those who need to hear it again, whenever I hear the word probate, it makes me cringe. It sends chills up my spine. Is probate always bad, Michael?
2: No, it's not always bad. I mean, mm-hmm. it, a lot of times probate's simple to do in Texas if the will is done properly, uh-huh. um, it just you have to kind of wait for a period of time for a uh, especially uh, it could be bad <laughs> if you don't have a will or if the will is done poorly, and right. it could take an awful lot of time. so I guess the answer is it depends. It could be difficult or it could be simple. Uh, so it really will depend. Uh, if Texas, it's simple generally to probate a will, but a lot of times the wills are done improperly or perhaps there's contest, or you know, perhaps you have to have witnesses because the something was improperly signed, or sometimes you have to go back to court. And of course, it's much more difficult if you didn't have a will at all, because then uh, not only do you have to, um, somebody has to go to court and ask for things to go by the laws of intestacy, they have to have another attorney to determine if there's any unknown errors. You might have to have an accounting. You may have to... Um, uh, notify, you would have to find out all the creditors, uh, you may, it may, if you can, you may have to uh, get, see if other parties that are beneficiaries can agree on who would be in charge, and if you can't, then the court can have what's called a dependent administrator, uh, where you have to get uh, court may I on anything that you do. So it really depends. So, uh, of course, it would be really ill-advised if you had an individual account and you did not have at least a
1: will. That uh, makes so, sense. Uh, when you bring that up, I think automatically when you say a poorly created will, something that someone may do online just to save money and to have at least yeah. something. Is that a good example?
2: yeah, yeah. I saw one. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Uh, we had somebody any other they had like it wasn't like nothing in their state. They had like eight hundred thousand. They used some dang same, same form. And, of course, it wasn't valid under text. I mean, it was a valid will. It would be a will, but they did a lot of things wrong. They didn't say that the executor was independent. So hmm. you may have to get the kids from the prior marriage to agree with the former spouse who was named as the executor. I mean, it was just like, oh, my goodness, you uh, you have, you have the, they didn't sign, the notary didn't fill in the blanks on who the witnesses are. So you're going to have to find the people at the, the facility where the person died, they were, I think, in a hospital, and they signed a will before they died, about a month before they died. Uh, and so now you're going to have to get the witnesses from wherever that was, and I don't know if you could even find those people, um, although that wasn't that long ago. There was all there was just like one problem after another because uh, they were pennywise and pound-foolish the way I look at it, because uh, now they'll end up having to pay a lot more in connection with the probate because... They save money on that form, but they sure yeah. cost themselves more um, in the long run. So, you know, all I could say is reap what you sell I guess. Um, yep. Sometimes people um, just feel like they're doing something. And, you know, in this do-it-yourself world, you kind of get trapped into thinking that you could do anything yourself. And uh, a lot of times that's not a good idea.
1: I hear you. It uh, was Philippians or Ephesians, but I read about reaping and sowing this morning before our program, ironically, so it's um, perfect that you brought that up. And um, yep, um, planner beware. If you do something like that just to cut corners and save money, it could really cost you down the road. So, okay, Michael, uh, what else about uh, people's accounts?
2: Well, yeah, one more thing. You know, let's sure. say you did have an individual account, and let's say that um, you had got Social Security or some sort of uh, uh, something like that that went into your uh, account on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. When the bank sees that you don't get it the next month, they're going to freeze your account, or if you notified the bank that the person passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even if you don't notify if they see that Social Security is not going in there, then they're going to freeze that account. And so then who's going to, you know, some people get have the incorrect feeling that, oh, I'll just name so-and-so as my agent or my power of attorney, and therefore they could act. Well, power of attorney terminates on death. So that authority to deal with, you know, your account uh, during your lifetime uh, ceases if you're just an agent. If you name, let's say, a child as an agent under a power of attorney, why would they do that? Because if it was a joint account, some sort of joint tenancy account, and there's several different ways to have a joint tenancy account, so I have to talk about that too, then it's possible that your money could be subject to somebody else's creditors or somebody else. Let's say you say, oh, I'm going to have um, my child as my joint account owner. Okay, well, somebody's, if there's a judgment against that account, even during your lifetime, that account could get frozen during your lifetime yeah. because of the judgment creditor could go to the court and say, "Hey, hey, hey, um, money's owed, and this is a he's a this person is a joint account owner." Uh, there's different types of joint accounts, by the way. Uh, it gets kind of a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you have a joint account, does not necessarily all go to the joint account owner after you die? Not necessarily. Depends on the way the account was set up. Uh, some accounts are joint, just joint tenancy, uh, with um, just joint tenancy, which may be considered uh, could be considered tenants in common. Tenants in common. So you could say that your tenants in common, your interest in that account, could go to somebody different than the account owner. So, for example, we had a client in last month. Uh, he had a child from a prior marriage, and he wanted those uh, joint accounts to go to his daughter, not to his wife. Well, if it's a so we had I said okay, let's go to the financial institution and find out what type of accounts they were, because it really makes a difference on how it was set up as to the way it goes. So if it was a tenants in common, then his will could say. That, that even that joint account can go a certain way. Now, it doesn't mean that it goes necessarily, that shows the obligation, uh, but remember the joint account may not be part of probate. In other words, you may not have to get court approval on it, but that means it's supposed to go to the, that particular person. Uh, so uh, so in this case, uh, even though the wife survived, if the wife survive she might have access to the account, but she would have a duty to pay those funds for the benefit of the deceased husband's uh, either estate to pay bills or to distribute it to the rightful beneficiary. Interesting. Yeah. And so on the other hand, if the account was joint tenants with right of survivorship, then it would go to whoever the joint account owner was. So you have – and then even if you have joint tenancy with rise survivorship, then you have to have – there's like three different factors under Texas law. So if you don't have the exact language that's required by the laws, then it might not even be joint tenancy with rise survivorship. So there's even some court cases along those lines. So you really have to look at the signature card to determine if it follows the law. And then – so you really have to kind of look at the – you have to see what you have. And then you have to make sure it's the way you want and make sure, especially if there's any can, kind of a potential contested situation, uh, you have to be careful. So it makes a difference if there's what's called tenants in common versus joint tenants with live survivorship. Uh, there's actually even a way, um, it could be a problem, too. Let's say that um, the account got frozen, the joint account possibly could get frozen, Well, not necessarily. Uh, So, you know, there's different ways you could set it up. So, for example, if you don't want to have an account being frozen, there's another thing in Texas you could have what's called um, a convenience account. So here's where another client uh, situation. They said, hey, husband, wife, they didn't have children, uh, and they said, what happens if we die in a common accident and we want somebody to pay our bills like the funeral bills? And I said, well, you'll have to check with the bank to see if they have a convenience account. Now, the convenience account doesn't mean that that uh, convenience account owner um, is an owner. Uh, they're just really a have signature rights. They have signature rights to pay the bills. Okay. So in this case, the brother could sign bills after they died in a common accident. And uh, of course, then that... That would be okay. Had another person had a they had a trust it was uh, and their husband um, had had a had some VA benefits and she was just the surviving spouse. Uh, she was the fiduciary. It's kind of like a power of attorney. So it's similar to the situation we talked about before. A power of attorney terminates on death. same thing on VA fiduciary account. So VA has its own. Uh, type of accounts uh, that are fiduciaries to, you know, to make sure the money's spent on the veteran uh, that you're supposed to report uh, on. But the when you're a fiduciary and that person dies, well, the it's not your account. It was supposed to be used for that person. So since it wasn't in the trust, they're going to have to probate their will for it to go according to the terms of the trust. Uh, the will said everything goes to the trust. So, uh, in that case, if uh, just because you're have a you a fiduciary uh, a, a, on a VA account, that would also terminate on the veteran's death, just like a, uh, the power of attorney uh, would terminate. Uh, there is no more authority upon the death of the deceased account owner. So a lot of times people, why would people use a power of attorney versus, let's say, a joint account? Uh, because remember, if you're on a joint account, then, if the joint account owner gets sued, well, there goes your money. Or maybe the joint account owner has a spouse that they have a marital problem. They want to wipe you out. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or maybe, uh, uh, or maybe there's a lot of times there's problems for Medicaid. If you're a joint account owner, uh, then you have to have special stuff to say, and maybe uh, you have to report to the government. Uh, and see whose money it was. And then also, if you took money out of the joint account and put it into the non-Medicaid applicant's uh, account, then that would be a transfer penalty. So a lot of times you don't want to have a joint account because it creates uh, problems for long-term care, issues, the joint accounts, marital issues, uh, lots of different things. So sometimes people have a power of attorney where there's no liability for the agent, but of course the uh, power of attorney terminates on death. Uh, so there could be lots. So there's lots of different things to think about when you think about when you when you establish an account as to what's important to you. It depends upon what the goals may be. So um, so that's a, that's another consideration. Now sometimes people have a paid on death account. But well, let's say you had a paid-on-death account, uh, and which means it, it's paid on death. So what, how do you – what's the problem with that? You have an individual account that says paid-on-death. Well, you have to wait for the death certificate. Well, that's usually in only three, four, five, no more than six weeks to get one. Uh, could be less. Um, but what happens if you are the beneficiary and it's not a family member? I think under Texas law, you have to wait 25 years unless you can get the cooperation of the family to to get the death certificate. So it could be a problem uh, if you are not, a, if the beneficiary is not a member of the family or the family doesn't cooperate, or if unless you can get the funeral home to get you a copy, which a lot of times is doubtful, just like if there's a situation where there's some estranged family members, uh, which would be the only reason probably why you'd have it paid on death a different way. So uh, that could be a problem, too. So it's another thing to consider, uh, if you, ha- especially if you have somebody that's a non-family member or if you want to have money immediately. So like on that example of uh, paying the funeral bills, you know, okay, well, a convenience account would certainly do it. So, and now not every state has convenience accounts, so you have to look at the state. Uh, Every state has different uh, types of, uh, uh, in fact, there's a code section that talks about uh, just all, you know, all the different types of accounts uh, in Texas. So uh, there's the state's code, and it governs, you know, accounts. So they'll talk about convenience accounts. They'll talk about joint accounts. They'll talk about multi-party accounts. So if you have more than uh, one uh, it could be all those different types of things. Of course, um, there are other types of accounts. Uh, if you have a trust, and then, then if it's in a trust, then you don't have to worry so much about a lot of those different things because uh, whether you're disabled or, or, or die, it's all part of the trust, so you wouldn't have those issues. Of course, uh, it depends on the type of trust, too. Uh, but a lot of times, uh, that would if it's a revocable living trust, then whoever the trustee is would just be in charge automatically. Uh,
1: You know, it's great to hear all this. Um, I've been doing this program for many, many years with you, including especially uh, the last two years when the virus has struck and forced you and me to do the program via telephone, which is also the case today. But You can hear the bounce in Michael's step. You can hear the smile on his face. You can hear how much he really does enjoy this after doing this for so long, for so many decades, practicing law as an estate planning government assistant attorney or, in my word, expert. And uh, that's the kind of person you want to at least review your estate plan, to review your income, to review your plans while you're alive if you become disabled and after you pass away. The first step in that direction is to attend his next workshop, to hear Michael See Michael in person, ask a question about your individual circumstances, and that, too, is also on the phone or, in this case, online. And uh, that's February the 12th, which is a Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's an estate planning essentials workshop, and you get to be a part of that workshop via Zoom And Michael's been doing these forever, uh, almost 10 years now. So he's got this down to his science, in his sleep, whatever cliche you want to use. But it's really time well spent, and it's just before Valentine's Day. So here's the scenario. February 12th, go to the workshop, bring your significant other. February 13th, watch the two final football games uh, of the season before the Super Bowl, and then go out for Valentine's Day on the 14th to discuss it. I think that works out perfectly. What do you think, Michael? I think it's a sweetheart of a deal. (laughs) There it is, a sweetheart plan. Well, tell them about these sweet workshops and what goes on during them. Well, it's free, and that's what makes it a sweetheart
2: deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, We ask people what they want to know. So every workshop is different because we never know whether it's estate planning questions. You know, we do go over different types of accounts, too, but a lot of times people ask questions about wills or trust or powers of attorney or it could be about Medicaid or veterans benefits, or it could be about what's going on in Congress or uh, federally or what's happening locally. We never know what questions that people are going to ask to make sure that, uh, that things are done, their goals are made, uh, are accomplished, and uh, so we just kind of try to see what's important uh, to whomever, and that's what makes every workshop different because everybody's uh, concerns or goals are often different. And you often the other people who are on the uh, workshop uh, are listening and seeing the problems that they may not even have thought about because it's just not something that was on their top of their mind. Right. And so you learn something by uh, seeing what's a concern from others that you you know you might not have even thought about. So yep. to go to the free estate planning essentials workshop. Um, where we'll ask you what you want to know and go over it you know, during that two hours. Uh, you, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. It's free. Uh, I think you will. As you said, it's time well spent because basically it's no obligation. You get to hear about whatever your questions are answered, and it's free. And it's from the comforts of your own home. And if you want to have a free vision meeting, as you mentioned, uh, another hour where we can look at your individual situation, whether you didn't want to bring it up in front of others or, um, or maybe you, didn't, you wanted to go further detail about your situation, uh, then we give that as a uh, another bonus, so you basically get three free hours of legal
1: education without any obligation, without any cost. Excellent. To do so, to sign up for that online estate planning essentials workshop via Zoom, so you never have to leave your home on uh, Saturday, February twelfth at ten o'clock. Dial two one four seven two zero zero one zero two two one four seven two zero zero one Zero two. Now, Michael, we've got about five minutes left. I want to ask you, I watch once in a while murder mysteries, because um, I want to know, uh, I think they're fascinating, and I like the mystery part of it, and how they solve the cases, and, and hopefully get the bad guys and the people that, of course, are responsible. What happens if someone goes missing? Then what happens with the death certificate, and how do they declare the person deceased, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Can't that take longer than six weeks?
2: yeah I mean there are some situations I remember one time we may have talked about this, this is really a crazy situation where it not the person wasn't missing but the uh, the person uh, in this case there was a husband wife the assets were mostly in the husband's name the wife could need to get the money immediately uh, and her husband was kind of disabled and he had to have uh, he would always fall out of bed so there was these uh, rails That would kind of go up to protect him from going out of bed. Um, Unfortunately, uh, he got his head caught in the rails, I don't know how, and he died, and so they delayed giving the death certificate because they had to uh, say, this is uh, unusual circumstances. So uh, how we got, uh, and so it was going to take months, and she needed the money to live off immediately, and these accounts were not set up uh, in a proper way, I don't like what you were talking about here today. Uh, actually, I did some drink digging and I got a temporary death certificate. I didn't know there was such a thing, uh, but I got one. And so we were able to collect, I think it was from the life insurance policy, but it may have been from a retirement account. I just don't remember which, because uh, it's been a few years back. But yeah, so if somebody is missing, then then you have to see, uh, sometimes there's there's these statutes that say what happens if somebody's missing. A lot of times, uh, that will be uh, some, you know, let's say you have an executor or a trustee of a trust. A lot of times, you'll say, okay, if somebody's missing for a certain period of time, X, whatever you want to say. Oh wow. So yes, yeah. Hmm. So a lot of times that is covered in your estate planning documents, uh, especially if you have a trust. Um, but at least that we 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 put that provision in there. But okay. so I'm glad you asked that. But, yeah. uh, a lot of time but there's laws that, you know, say what happens on any, you know, they usually, where's a will, there's a way. Well, actually, the law is pretty good as far as telling what happens uh, and how long a period of time somebody has to be considered as missing before that person cannot be either um, whatever the situation is,
1: if they're a fiduciary or otherwise. I would imagine, I'd hate to have to read that, after the person went missing, no body, no money. Something to that effect. It would be awful, but I guess those are the rules. And but for this program, with two minutes left, Michael, what are the caveats for our listeners regarding this situation?
2: Well, I mean, you have to look at your own situation to see what's important to you, because a lot of times you just don't uh, may not realize that the card at the bank controls over your will, mm-hmm. or it may go by your will, and it could be result if you do things wrong. If you have it. Uh, if you were concerned about potential liability or for what happens if uh, the power of attorney stops and there's a freezing of the account, uh, there's all sorts of different things uh, that you should consider. Uh, and even if it's a, a survivorship, if it's a, uh, some strange children, you know, it could be uh, how do you get the death certificate to begin with uh, if you can't order if you're not a family member unless you have cooperation. So there's lots of different situations all sorts of different situations that could occur. I mean, there's different types of accounts. There's even a joint account where you can say pay on debt to a different person than the joint account owner. So you, there's different ways. There's all these different types of things. There's multi-party accounts. You know, the, there is laws regarding on different accounts. And so uh, I guess I know it sounds kind of crazy, but you have to make sure at, when you open up an account, it's what you, your goals are being met. And if you're not sure about that, um, really, you should be talking actually to the financial institution, not necessarily the attorney, because that's where it is. Now, if there is a concern about the family matters, then we have to see, maybe we should look at that account, how it set up the signature card before you do whatever your plan it may be. Although I don't usually ask for that. I usually say, just tell us what the story is from the financial
1: institution. All the more reason to make things less complicated and attend Michael's next workshop which again is Saturday, February the twelfth at ten o'clock, and it's online so you never have to leave your house. Dial two one four seven two zero zero one zero two two one four seven two zero zero one zero two. Go to Dallas Elder E-L-D-E-R lawyer dot com. Michael Cohen, we thank you for the education today, sir.
0: Thank you, Don. The